politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for everything that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. And boy, is that more relevant today, Friday, than ever before. We have never had a better opportunity to harness a new cycle, to push not just a unified substance, but substance that is directed to the core of what needs to be done on the illegal immigration issue, which is all state enforcement, state removals, and not just you know the border states like Texas, but all states. And we're going to have very specific ideas of where that needs to head with uh, our guest Jessica Vaughn coming up. But also the core of what is ultimately needed to be the solution from really everything, every issue that we're facing economically, culturally, demographically, and our tyranny, which is state sovereignty from both the federal you know, executive branch and the federal courts. But my fear is, and there's budding signs of this, that because the GOP is a controlled opposition, and what that means is that they take good opportune moments and jujitsu it into a black hole. They look like they're harnessing it for us. And it makes it hard because I don't want to dump on it. And I've been very positive this week. But because they actually believe in the opposite, they don't just say, no, 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 we want open borders. We want red states to be like blue states. No, they, they say the opposite. They're all, yeah, Biden sucks the invasion. We stand with Texas. And then we let our guard down, and quietly it just kind of goes into a black hole and goes nowhere. We have to remember Nahum 1-7. The Lord is good, a stronghold on a day of of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. And we need to trust in him, and therefore pursue ideas that we at least tried to be on God's side with that are the right things to do, not in the people. And ideas. And if you do that, you'll be focused like a laser beam on the ideas, and then you will carefully guard and test. Test your ways. And return to the Lord. Take stock of what you're doing. Is it actually working? Is it headed in that direction? Or is it just another talking point? So I want to I wanna give an outline of what we're seeing so far the last 24 hours and, and headed into the future with both Greg Abbott, but also these other governors, what they are doing, what ought to be done, and how this could very well become a missed opportunity. Uh, First, our sponsor, uh, we're really proud to renew for this year with Quinn's Goat Soap. This time of year when it's very cold, there's nothing like going into a warm shower and having the smoothest, silkiest uh, soap on your body. But it also helps if the soap is not pro-inflammatory like some of the big brands like Dove and Zest. And also, it's not uh, uh, created by a woke company, but in fact, one of our own from the free state of Florida. Quinn Pittman is a 16-year-old. He might be turning 17 soon, but he started when he was a couple years ago. He's really young, has his own goats, milked them, wanted to first start making cheese, but then switched to goat soap. It has natural oils in it. 
doesn't dry out your skin, which is important for someone like me with dried out skin. It's really helping. So don't look like an idiot when I get on camera to do uh, TV, the few TV shows that will have me on. And again, it is it is just perfect. They have all different scents for different times of the year. They have male, female scents, a lot of different products, and they keep growing their base at QPGoatSoap.com. QP is for Quinn Pittman. Um, his mother, Dana, is also very involved, become a friend of the, sh- of the show and of the blaze. QPGoatSoap.com. Use promo code Daniel. Don't forget promo code Daniel for 10% off your order at QPGoatSoap.com. So, folks, one of the things that we have observed over the years is that the GOP and the conservative movement in particular and the conservative media is like a harmony without a melody. They're like a icing without a cake. And really, I, I could give another analogy. They're like a shop, a store that has a mannequin and a display outside, a sample. So the idea is that, what's the idea of a sample? Hey, take a look at this. There's more behind it. I have a whole store worth of these goods. But what the conservative movement has become is just a display, just a mannequin, and there's nothing behind it. When you have a bloody shirt, an inflection moment, a symbolic moment, you fight over the razor wire, a 1.5-mile security perimeter at Shelby Park and Eagle Pass out of a 1,200-mile Texas border, the idea, like we've been saying all week, is that that's a symbol for states will enforce immigration law regardless of what the feds do, and we're going to do it everywhere. We're going to do it fully across the border and in all ways. And we are willing to say no to the courts. And that's what we thought we were headed towards. But if you don't direct it towards that, it just becomes another grift for everyone to be, oh, this is exciting. Look at what's happening. And then all of the subversive Republicans that are working in their respective states with their special interest lobbyists to bring in more refugees, to bring in more high-skilled and low-skilled labor, um, to ensure that the things that will actually cut off the benefits to illegals, as we're going to talk about with Jessica Vaughn, never happen and don't see the light of day out, out of the legislature, they get a pass. So this is always a tough moment for, for people like us because I don't want to dump on something that's important. So everyone's going around passing around this map. Look at the rebellion. And then now it's up to 25 states, basically every Republican governor. Look, I would love nothing else to tell you, oh my gosh, we've reached that moment. Our dream of red state versus blue, red states as red as blue states are blue, interposition against the federal government, joining the rebellion, if only. And and it's good that people at least are focused on where that is where it needs to head, on immigration, but on every other issue as well. But the problem is certain things are not equal to others. So... Where where I started seeing signs is Governor DeSantis was the first one to jump in. And he didn't just say, oh, you know, the feds are terrible and kudos to uh, Greg Abbott for, you know, securing the border. Okay? No, he gave the intellectual case for why states broadly have the authority against both the federal executive and even federal Supreme Court to do what needs to be done because that's where it needs to head. Then you look at all these other governors pile on, 
And that's not what they're saying. They're just saying, I stand with Greg Abbott in trying to secure the border where Biden is failing. But here's the problem. We are not at interposition yet, right? We're building towards that. Right now, there is no conflict. There is no conflict. Now, as of 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, uh, you know, officially the Biden administration said they gave him an ultimatum by the end of today to hand over Shelby Park. But I want to warn you about an outcome that I hope is not going to happen, but I fear is going to happen. Again, Biden needs a way to save face and Greg Abbott needs a way to save face. They both need to evacuate and de-escalate a situation. Democrats know that Republicans need a victory. They need a symbolic victory because they love symbolism. Republicans know that Democrats need to keep the flow ultimately going. Maybe it will go down a little bit temporarily, but in the long run, it keeps going. So you understand where things are kind of headed. Remember, Shelby Park, if it's a inflection moment in we will challenge you at every corner of the 1,200-mile Texas-Mexican border, and we will criminalize illegals' presence in there, and we will remove them, then it is a very good thing. And we are willing to to ignore a Supreme Court ruling because we believe and we're making the moral, political, and legal case for states to assume control over immigration enforcement. But what if something like this happens? And I'm just, you know, I'm hearing from different sources I have very, very good sources at the border, and I've had for many years, that there is a growing concern that the feds will give Texas DPS and really the National Guard um, Shelby Park. Okay, you could have it. So about a, about a one and a half mile perimeter, security perimeter. And it could very, and, and they will not cut a single razor wire and they will not request to cut it. And you likely will not have numbers coming through there. And the governor will be able to produce numbers to brag how you know it's gone down in that part of Eagle Pass. But what if they're flowing within a you know 20 to 30 miles north and south, south towards the, the Laredo sector and north towards this kind of open farmland? Now, there's another thing to keep in mind that this time of year, and you could you could chart it on a on on the on the graphs and the charts of the apprehension data, January into February is always the lowest time of year. One thing it gets very cold in the desert at night, and also um the river tends to be the highest at this time of year. And in fact, right at that area near Shelby Park, because they do an annual dam release, it has nothing to do with immigration, it's just environmental, Um, the water level is very high, and people are drowning there, the few that decide to come over. It's very sad watching it. But the point is that both Texas and Biden will be able to say, likely, that the January-February also numbers will be lower than the last few months. And, you know, again, they've acculturated us to such appalling numbers that you could even reduce it by 50%, and it's insane, historically. And remember, we saw that last year 
where numbers went down June, July, and it was a rope-a-dope, and Todd Benzman warned how they were going to do it, and then it you know went back to more than ever. Unfortunately, if we don't keep up the pressure, I see that as an outcome. So they'll be able to turn to conservative media. Ha-ha, Texas fought off those CBP guys. Go stick it, feds. And the 25 states with their vapid little thing. And and and, and Christy Nome is, is going down to the border today. And she's going to have her photo ops while in her own state. She refuses to support the Freedom Caucus and supports the special interests, cheap labor, and all that stuff. See, the Republican governors have not changed. They might not agree with the invasion, the modality of how we have a bunch of low-skilled third-worlders in the country, but they agree with the outcome, and they don't mind them being here. And the proof is in the pudding because they will not do what it takes to get rid of them out of their states. Okay? And and again, that's what Jessica is going to give with her presentation coming up. And then connected to this, Trump finally gave a statement, as I warned, as I said, at 6 p.m., around 6 p.m. into the third day of this. Took a long time. And it was funny. It was very carefully crafted. It's it's laughable because you know it was written by someone else. Didn't have spelling and grammar mistakes. It wasn't his tone. And it was just very measured. Like, yeah, you know, Biden's doing horrible. Wait till I'm president. We stand with... Abbott, nothing along the lines of what DeSantis did on interposition. And that's the point. There's nothing with this because, again, Shelby Park is not the issue. That's not the issue. It's a potential inflection point to lay down the marker that we will deport. And Abbott has had a history. I'm sorry. You know, number one, it's a little, it's always a day late, a dollar short. He should have been doing this level three years ago, and he wasn't. And now, because it's gotten so bad, he nothing short of of Texas DPS and and military forces operating on the other side and removing is going to solve it. And I'm glad that they criminalize entry into the country, but they have not, or entry into Texas, they have not made it a state crime of actually being in the state illegally. That's a different thing. And that's where we need to push in some other states as well. But it was interesting. And again, what this tells me about Trump is, I told you, they have the ability to get him to put out a statement. They don't have the ability to get him to actually act. Doesn't mention mention interposition. It looks like looks like it was written by someone else. And and that's that's the story. That's where this is headed. And my concern is Trump is going to continue to make this about, and understandably so. Oh, just wait till I'm president. We cannot have another 12 months of this. And frankly, in all likelihood, five years of this. You know, he, he's obviously not, not going to want to admit that. But we need state enforcement now. And my problem is that Christine Nome refuses to push E-Verify, refuses to, 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 um, cut off the bennies, refuses to, you know, I I was speaking to people in the South Dakota legislature late last night, and they're like, it's the most flaccid, risk-averse, do-nothing agenda. There's no, he's like, I have nothing to do with this legislative session, and it's very quick. So she runs out the clock, it's 35 days, done, and then she gets, this is, 
This is the problem when they latch onto our issues. On the one hand, I don't want to sound like I don't want to take yes for an answer. I would love nothing more than unity of 25 states standing together and saying, we will defy a court. We will, you know, deport. We will stay. But that's not what they're saying. And frankly, I don't really necessarily see Greg Abbott headed there from what I'm hearing. And I hope I'm wrong. And I hope it's headed in a better direction. But this is how the Republican Party subverts us. They ignore our issues until it gets so bad, then they'll indulge it rhetorically and then make everyone happy, and then it all continues. I mean, ironically, some of these governors are still working on getting more bennies and more opportunities for illegals in their red states. This is this is the problem with low IQ conservative media that's all about the sensationalism. They're like, oh my gosh, it's like the Civil War. I mean, we could bring it to that level, but it's it's not. Because there's nothing that happened. There's nothing that happened yet to achieve that. And there's only one governor who lent support to that idea. They are not equal. Trump gave the same statement as 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 Mike DeWine in Ohio. Mike DeWine, I could promise you if we got to a point where, you know, they stood their ground and then the Fed stood their ground, which again, I don't think they will. I think they're just going to cede Shelby Park to them and route them elsewhere. Um but if they did and they went for a motion for, for contempt, a writ of mandamus or something like that, and, and the Supreme Court issued it, <laughs> I promise you, I, I, you know, again, I wish I were wrong, but you're not going to have any of these governors say, yeah, screw the courts. Like, they, they, you know, they, they don't have authority over this. No, they're just, you know, they're, they're saying abstract aspirationally. It's good. Greg Abbott, you know, is picking up the slack where Biden is failing us. That's basically what they're all saying and what Trump said as well. And that's what this has all become. It's all become the razzle-dazzle. And I just, I just want to mention something um, Jesse Kelly put out on Twitter. So there's all these guys who are like, we need a civil war. And Jesse Kelly mocked them. And I love it. This like false dichotomy. 14% of Iowa GOP primaries got off the couch to vote. Maybe instead of a civil war where you'll hold your dying child in your arms, we could actually show up to vote and get involved. Can't get a Republican to run for school board, but he's about to start shooting. Give me a break, please. (laughs) And his point is, first of all, I wish we had that spirit. I don't mind it. But none of the, you know, narrator, you know, sorry to break the suspense. None of these people are going to be all of these uh, fag conservatives are going to get off their their couch and and uh, actually engage in shooting and 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 again the reason is I'd like to tell you man we're there's nothing we can do but it's not true it doesn't have to be this way this week has shown it is so easy like that map that they're holding up all over social media it's not true we haven't gotten there yet and I suspect we won't unfortunately, but they're not wrong in that it could be that way. 
We could totally, if everyone who yelps, if all of these shows that claims they care about the rhinos and the uniparty, it's funny, they're now using all of our terms and and we all agree on paper. That's what's so weird. Again, 81% of Iowans voted for people who rhetorically are roughly saying that. And they want that. And by the way, there's a national poll for Morning Consult out showing Trump beating Nikki Haley. You guessed it, 81-19, right? And that's about the percentage of people that if you told them, this is what we want to do, do you agree or not? 80% of GOP voters would agree with what we want. The problem is because we don't have shows like this show and all of the most influential voices are the ones who focus on the icing, not the cake, on the harmony, not the melody, on the mannequin sample outside the store, but not, not actually creating a store. So we have a bunch of subversive elements that misdirect our intention, that don't keep up a sustained focus to actually harness these moments to the outcomes we want, both on legislation, on policy, on executive action, and then on down-the-ballot primaries. So this is how we're left with not only don't we get the good guys, but we have a dose of political fentanyl where Christy Nome gets to then go on all these shows. Like, look, if, if I know someone's really with all their heart and soul doing something good, even if they're more of an establishment guy and they subvert us on other issues, I don't mind bringing them on the show and discussing that issue. But what I'm not going to do is give airtime to people that I know are subverting us in the way it matters, but then... Oh, look at me, like the least Stefanik thing where she will ensure that we have no leverage on must-pass bills to defund the weaponization and the prosecutions. But, oh, I, I called the J6 uh, people hostages, so now I'm amazing. I'm not going to play that game. It's not just a waste of time. It's subversive because it makes it harder for us to rectify the uniparty problem because the uniparty folks get to ingratiate themselves to conservative media for free while stabbing us in the back on the issues that matter in the way it matters at the time it matters. So I'm sorry. I'm sick of this. Yeah, we're based. We're doing this. You're, you're doing squat. In a freaking open seat in North Dakota we're still struggling to get a recruit to run for governor. The Uniparty is going to win that going away, by the way, with Trump's endorsement. We'll see what happens there. It's a complete and utter joke. It's like everyone's talking about, what the heck with these Nikki Haley voters, these open primaries? We've been yelling about that for two generations. Trump was the leader of the party by a mile. His voice is, what did Rona McDaniel do? Rona McDaniel just said we they want to draft a resolution to just end the primaries. So you see, that's how much influence he has. So could I, could I have a, I, I mean, it's just just, uh, just a question. Just, just an outside question. How come Trump hasn't been able to get his hand-picked RNC chair for eight years and including up until this very day to draft a resolution to close Republican primaries in all the states. Don't you find that funny? You see what I mean? They're so good at that. You know, the analogy um, that I would say we're holding by, and I know I'm giving a lot of them today, but they're all true, is you have two opposing armies. And the guys that are supposedly the good guys 
the rank and file start getting very antsy. And they're like, I think our generals are selling us out. They're tossing the fight. They're not real. And we need to get rid of them. So we, you know, we need to win the playoffs before we win the World Series. We need to, we don't need even have our own, we're not winning our own bracket here. We're not winning our own thing because we need to have our own leadership that actually is oriented towards the goal so we could actually defeat the Democrats, the opposing army. And that's kind of the analogy for the Tea Party era. And then comes along, so wow, finally we're defeating the subversive force within our side so we could actually have a side to defeat the other side. And then a force comes along and in the middle of the night takes all of those leaders of the kind of grassroots rank and file, you know, maybe lower level flag officers and staff sergeants, master sergeants that are getting very antsy about the subversive generals tossing the fight. And they inject them with marijuana and heroin in the middle of the night. And they wake up and they're just like either lunatics off the wall, you know, saying all sorts of things. Just some total of it is ineffective and just can't get it done. Sometimes supporting the generals. That's that's what the Trump movement has brought. I'm sorry. That's just a reality. It's just this ability, and it and it has allowed, it has allowed the worst, most subversive forces within the reddest states to play this double game. We were just starting to, you know, 2010, 2012, 2014, expose these people. I mean, Christy Nome was part of that era, and now she's a hero. Again, I don't want to bash Republicans. I would ra- the best thing is if they come to our position. And I would love to say that we have 25 governors standing for exactly what we called for. <laughs> but I got news for you, we don't. We don't. And that leads me to one one more thing before we get to Jessica. And I'm very reluctant to broach this topic. I'm I'm very reluctant because I hate talking about myself and making myself the issue like all my colleagues do. And it becomes about, oh, I thought of this. I did this. It's me, me, that. I don't care. I'm kind of a shy guy. I don't want notoriety. In fact, my dream would be having a movement that I can be in the background making strategic plays but not be in the public light. I don't desire to be a public figure, but we do need this show to grow in order to get the message out and achieve what we want. So yesterday, was it yesterday or two days ago? I can't even remember now. So Governor DeSantis put out a video giving the case for interposition. And in the middle of that video, he ran, I didn't know he was going to do this. He randomly just name dropped me. And he says, you know, something like, you know, which Daniel, you know, Madison and Federalist 46, which Daniel Hurwitz pointed out. I believe that those were the words, something like that. And it was it was totally gratuitous. It wasn't, you know, it's not like I had an original thought. I was just the first guy who maybe applied that to this debate. But, you know, I didn't write that. That was around for 230 years by Madison. So, you know, clearly he's just a very classy person. And what I see in that, I, I've not spoken to him since December. What I see in that is that he really appreciates the message we put out, not just because we supported him, um, but what we're trying to do. 
And he wanted to raise my profile. That That's very clear what he was trying to do. So someone had a really sharp ear. And and I, I'm sorry, I really apologize. I can't remember which Twitter account. Someone alerted me to it. That was listening to the Clay and Buck show, which is the replacement time slot for Rush Limbaugh. So, you know, that's going to get a lot of listeners. I, I don't think it does as well as Rush, but it's, you know, obviously that main time slot during the daytime. And they played the clip of Ron DeSantis and were very, you know, um, uh, praiseworthy of it. They praised it because now you're able to praise the governor now that he is no longer, you know, a direct threat to the idol. So now you can go back to speaking the truth somewhat. But something really bizarre happened. So when you cut clips and I do it myself or my producer does it for me. So, you know, sometimes you could have a guy that spoke for three minutes, five minutes, and you you don't have time to chew up the show with something that long. So you'll only play, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, maybe a minute of it. But what you'll or, you know, sometimes you'll go out of order. You'll say, OK, here's the first 20 seconds and then we're going to skip to a different part of it. And that's that's totally fine. But what they did was they played, you know, let's say his, I think his uh, video was about two minutes. So you're not going to play the two minutes. They played about 40 seconds of it. And they played it straight. And they seamlessly cut out those four words, one second worth ensconced in the middle of that 40 seconds. So, you know, Madison and Federalist 46, which Daniel Horowitz, Horowitz pointed out, they took out those literally my name but it's not bleeped or it's not it, it's seamless you wouldn't know and you had to really doctor that because i mean it's, it's it's shocking it really i've never seen something like that before um and you could this guy rick sandberg who has been amazing i want i want you guys to go to his twitter account and follow it's at here for liberty h-e-r-e-4 with the number four liberty um, and he just, at the kindness of his heart, he cuts clips of the show so you could share to other people. Those of you are like, hey, I, I wish other people would hear this. So, you know, if you want to share clips, that's the way way to do it. So Rick put out on his Twitter account the side-by-side, the original clip from the governor, and then the one that Clay and Buck put out. Why am I saying this? I don't need the notoriety. I don't care. I'm not even upset. I'm not getting the blaze to go and protest and asking people. And I, you know, I know people are upset online and whatever. I really don't need it. Don't care. I'm not even upset at them. I'm more almost giddy about it. I'm telling this to you to empower you. It's not about me. What that tells me is that this show is such a threat, is such a threat to the uniparty Con Inc. controlled opposition where we basically are giving the public a false dichotomy between the demonic elites and this fake anti-establishment that actually is pro the new establishment, which is the same thing, that what they cannot afford is for people to have something that really is based, but strategic, smart, driven, focused on activism, doesn't sound like a bunch of low IQ white trash, but doesn't give in to anything. This show really does not exist, and the system cannot afford for anyone to know about it. And that's why no one bashes me. It's just I don't exist. A lot of people have t- told me, I never heard of you. I-, I can't believe I didn't hear of the show. So I don't need you to go on and bash Clay and Buck. I, I really have nothing against them. 
If you really want to make up for it, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Send this show to all your friends. Go to Rick Sandberg's Twitter, Here for Liberty. Pass around the clips he cuts. That's the way we're going to do it. But I just wanted you to know that the system does not allow the acknowledgement. They went out of their way. I, I don't. I can't think of any other way around it. Um, it's 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 like it's jarring. Um, I thought maybe maybe they never heard of me. <laughs> Clearly they did, because you wouldn't have done that. It's and 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 it is dishonest because you can't take a clip from an elected official and play it as if it's that you don't have to play the whole clip, but the part that you do have. You can't crop out literally one second dead in the middle of it as if it didn't exist. Um, you know, sometimes if I have a clip from someone that I don't play, but I paraphrase, paraphrase by saying over, you know, this, you know, when people talk, they have parentheticals, so I'll just kind of skip that. But this is just whoa! <laughs> it's 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 it, and and I just wanted wanted you to guys to know that. You guys joining conaction.network, joining one of your red state Constitution Action Network Liberty Strike Force teams, you'd be shocked. I'm a nobody, and they want to keep it that way, and I'm fine with that. But you would be shocked at if you have a couple of good guys working with a couple of good legislators and other local officials in your red state exposing that, wait a minute, you Republicans are governing in accordance with the 19%, not the 81%, what they ultimately do want, but unfortunately might be ignorant about the who's who and what's what. And I can't blame them. If you're going to have a Republican Party with the help of the conservative media that could, claims to complain about that same Republican establishment, help them out to perfectly give the public what they want to hear while subverting us, if you didn't do this full time, I, I can't blame you. Why would you know that these guys are doing that? And that's why I feel it's my responsibility to be that person. And that's why I am the name that shall not be mentioned. So I don't I don't want to make this about a fight. I, I find that very petty. I don't care. They have they have the right to do what they want with their show. God bless them. But to make up for it, let's pass this around to everyone you know. Um I don't want to spend, and I really don't want to do this again. I hate, I don't like, I hate victimhood. And that's what our movement has become. We shouldn't have to be victims. If 81%, in some states it's 90, agree with us, why in the world do the policies of those states not comport with what the people claim they want? And the reason is because conservative media and the conservative organizations are subversive, with the exception of places like the Freedom Caucus Network um, and, and Governor DeSantis. We don't have much to work with, but we have something, and we will work with it. But anyway, I do want to get to our guests before we run out of time. So, folks, one thing that is self-evident from everything we're seeing with this Texas border fight is that the border will never be secured under this administration. I mean, even if we had a shutdown fight, which I'm advocating for, uh, you know, over the budget, it would be over really harnessing national attention to the point where ultimately states would enforce it. They are never going to do something they don't want to do because, honestly, what they're actually doing, as we see, is is 
arson, sabotage. They want to cut through wire. They want to help the cartels. They are helping it. They're advertising it. They're orchestrating it. And that's for another 12 months. And honestly, you know, in my view, 80-90% chance it will probably be another five years worth. But even if we shut the door tomorrow and there's not a single new person coming across, you cannot begin to imagine, and we have not begun to actualize, the fundamental transformation of having about 8 million of these people from the last number of years, it's the three years of, of Biden. We had uh, over a million family units during Trump. We had uh, the Obama wave. I mean, this is a big problem. And there is nothing you're going to do at a federal level that's going to solve this. It is state enforcement or bust. And then what, what happens from there is either they don't come at all because they're deterred or they just go to the states where they're welcomed. And there, there is evidence and there is history of this that when you actually – you know, enforced at a state level, they're dissuaded from coming there, dissuaded from operating there. And that's why this fight is so important, as we're saying today, that it's not just about the logistics of a razor wire fence in one part of Texas, but fundamentally establishing with certitude and unwavering that states have the right to enforce. Okay, because absent that... There's really nothing that's going to change, and we are stuck with millions of these people. So it all gets back to interior enforcement. Interior enforcement in the states is where it's at much more than border security. In fact, you know, if I were prosecuting a shutdown fight over appropriations, I would actually make it more about explicitly clarifying the state ability to do this than even HR2 at the border. That's just kind of, that's just me. But when we're discussing something like interior enforcement, well, we got to bring on one person. Jessica Vaughn is the director of policy studies at Center for Immigration Studies, longtime friend, longtime friend of the show. She is the first lady of interior immigration enforcement for so many years, the expert, the go-to person on this issue. Hey, Jessica, great to be with you today. And what a time it is. Hi, Daniel. Great to be with you, too. That's a new one, the First Lady of Enforcement. (laughs) That's right. We we are giving you that title, and you don't have to wait for the next administration when we make you, uh, you know, CBP director or ICE director, really ICE director. But um, really now, if if I made you, this is what I want to push here. If I made you tomorrow the director of the Red State Immigration Enforcement Compact. And I do think there are signs. Maybe it's not as quickly as I'd like it to be. We certainly have the Florida governor is trying to lead on that um, to create you know, a cooperative where, look, the states that ideologically understand the problems with this, we're going to take care of it. So I want to go through some of the authorities and, you know, the rule, the ground rules for today, Jessica, is you don't have to be constrained by existing bad Supreme Court precedent. So throw that out <laughs> for a minute. And you're a governor, you're a state legislature. What are some of the tools that are being underutilized that if we use them, we could dissuade illegals from remaining in certain states? Well, th- th- there's a lot of them. States are far from helpless in in defending themselves and their citizens against this onslaught 
And I, I divide, you know, the, I, I have a laundry list of things that states can do. Um, and some are, are big and uh, envelope pushing and, and some are more minor tweaking, sure. uh, you know, around some programs. But, you know, the, the biggest thing, there are really two huge things that states can do. Um, the first is one that you and I have discussed many times, <clears> and that is to deny illegal employment. And this gets at um, not only the migrants themselves and their ability to support themselves and therefore their um, you know, interest in staying here, um, but also at the employers who make it possible for them to stay here, who want the cheap labor. And, um, you know, we, we know, of course, about E-Verify and, you know, it definitely needs to be ex- expanded. But just having an E-Verify mandate in place is like having the border wall without it being patrolled. It needs to, there need to be aggressive steps that go along with it um, to impose, um, you know, to do audits and investigations and inspections and raids and impose consequences on the employers who are caught and the migrants who are caught. And states can play a role in that too through their um, labor department wage and hour divisions. But, you know, one real, um, issue here in illegal employment is the ability of employers to shield themselves from liability um, and the increasing tendency they have to farm out hiring to labor contractors. Labor contractors right now, staffing companies, are, are among the worst actors, practically human traffickers in certain situations. And so what I've been looking at and trying to help states do um, is to impose some liability on employers, even if the high for illegal hiring, even if it was done by a staffing company or a contractor. And um, some folks have have come up with some language that states can adopt that would allow them to do this. And it's, it basically makes employers culpable if it's found that they have reckless disregard for someone's immigration status and for, you know, illegal hiring that's going on at their facilities, whether they did it directly or not. And and that's the kind of thing that will um, really um, make employers concerned and want to be more careful and, and make uh, legal hiring a norm and a best practice instead of, you know, what it is now, which is sort of spotty by the only the conscientious employer. So that's one big thing I think um, states can so, do So that, that's the 800-pound gorilla. So let's just process that employment. I mean, this is the schizophrenic approach of most Republican governors and legislators and, and all these people in that everyone, like we said, every Republican governor came out with a statement of, oh, it's terrible what the feds are doing. We stand with Texas. But it's this weird thing where I, I guess none of them support the way they're coming in, but a lot of them in the background still support the outcome, um, yeah. you know, of that magnitude of third world, you know, low skilled, cheap labor. And, and, and hence you even have some Republican governors to this day still, despite what's going on, pushing more benefits, much less, you know, doing what you're suggesting. They're pushing driver's licenses for illegals in Idaho and Oklahoma, maybe some other places as well. Um, so they have not changed. So your point is like, you know, do you believe in it or not? If you want to stop it, I mean, you just stop inviting yeah. them and they don't have a way right. of working. And I just want to clarify something, Jessica. 
Are you saying it's not like, okay, we have the human smuggling and the cartels and the trafficking to get them in. And then once they're in, they just kind of, ooh, you know, roam around. Oh, this is a nice place. This is a nice farm to go work at. You're saying that these labor contract organizations are almost part of that smuggling route. Oh, they absolutely are. Because part of the package that an illegal migrant purchases is going to be a job, like, you know, identity, you know, an identity package that enables them to get a job or, um, you know, under the table employment. And it's, you know, and in fact, many of them are entering into debt bondage. They know that they're going to get this job and that, that their, their employer is going to withhold a bunch of their wages to pay off the smuggling debt. And, mm. you know, and this, and, and, Big employ- a lot of them are working like on farms and in factories and, you know, hospitality and so on. And the big employers look the other way and are able to look the other way because they're like, oh, my gosh, trafficking you know, or, or like it's, we saw this with the kids. Oh, my gosh. Children are being employed in our poultry processing plants. Oh, my gosh. That's against our company policy. We can't have that. You know, of course, we'll cooperate with immigration authorities when, in fact, you know, behind the scenes, they were deliberately looking the other way and saying, okay, you know, we're going to, we have these relationships with recruiters and staffing companies and um, labor contractors. And and that insulates us against any blame when the inevitable happens, which is, you know, children employed, you know, dismembering, you know, beef carcasses and stuff, you know, or working in auto parts plants. Um, There, so if the employers were actually held liable for for this practice, they wouldn't do it. They would have to um, have lawful hiring practices, and they would do it once you know there's a crackdown on it. We know this from experience. In, in other words, a crackdown on illegal hiring. Then yeah. you know the company lawyers get together and say, you know, we we can't let this happen. We can't afford to be shut down. We can't afford the um, public shaming of being exposed for, you know, hiring children or illegal aliens or whatever in our plants, you know, when uh, they don't want that, um, but they don't have to change in, until they're held liable for violations of the law that take place. And, and states can make these violations of state laws as well. If the feds aren't going to come in and investigate this stuff, there's nothing stopping a state from doing it. In so so what you're saying is, again, and this is short of my advocacy, that ultimately we need to get to the point of state removals, and I strongly believe in that. But even short of that, you're saying, look, if you can't get a job that really takes away most of this, some of it's family reunification, whatever, and they wind up getting benefits, and that's another thing we could deal with. But your point is that we're, we're our eyes are on the logistics of the international border, the, the razor wire and the barriers and the assets and the border patrol and, oh, well, all shucks, it's a federal thing. We have a subversive federal administration, so I'm a Republican governor. What can I do? No, there's an end point to that. They don't stay at the border. They go to various places. Some are blue states, but a lot of them are also red states. And you know exactly where some of those popular destinations are, those agricultural areas or hospitality or whatever, and you could clamp down on that. So was that in... um? You know about the labor contract groups. Was that cited in one of the reports from the Florida grand jury? Yes, and in fact, um, the, the the grand jury that was impaneled in Florida to investigate this whole criminal infrastructure of illegal migration and how it affects the state of Florida did 
um, recognize this problem of liability for employers, and they are looking at ways to um, fix that, um, to, to put some teeth in the state laws against illegal hiring. Um, but few other states are doing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, like South Carolina, you know, I know you're from South Carolina. They've had E-Verify for a while, but it's a joke. I mean, is there a single, you know, ag area where illegals aren't still working? Uh, well, a lot of them in South Carolina are coming in on H-2A, the legal farm mm. worker stuff. Certainly in, in the area that I live in, that's happening. I mean, I'm sure there are some illegal workers and, but, um, that, you know, it, when you crack, when you have E-Verify mandates that are actually enforced and, and South Carolina does have an audit practice, mm. then at least in farm labor, the growers will go to the legal hiring programs. And they also use H2B for temporary seasonal unskilled work and a few other things. And, and there are problems with the contractors there too. But the main thing is, is at least it drives them to the legal programs, which are slightly regulated. Yeah, no, I mean, but, but, that that's a whole nother thing. But at least, yeah, if we could choke off that flow, um, that would help. Okay, so we, we chewed up a lot of time on number one, because that is the 800 pound gorilla in the room, the employment. Let's go quickly through some other kind of three, four other big ones that you would do. What's your number two? The number two is something that you mentioned, actually, which is a state repatriation program. Um, and it, I call it repatriation because it, you know, states cannot actually deport people formally. They don't have the authority to do it. But there are ways to, um, to get illegal aliens to leave on their own. And when a state is aggressively enforcing laws like against illegal employment, against ID theft, driving without a license, in other words, if you have um, 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 layers of state laws that will serve as kind of a dragnet for the things that illegal aliens have to do to be able to stay here under the radar, and you enforce those laws, then they're going to um, come to the attention of local law enforcement agencies and get arrested. And then you have the ability, the way I would envision it or approach it as a state uh, government is to say, okay, this is like a diversion program. If, if you get arrested for driving without a license and you're here illegally or um, any kind of State, lower level state offense. Not, I'm not talking about violent criminals because they need to feel the full hammer of justice on them. Yeah, in other words, if you but, murder an American, obviously we have to lock you up. Right, and we're going to. But if you drive without a license, if you are using a fake ID to get a job, if you are, um, you know, any kind of a caught shoplifting or whatever, if you come to the attention of law enforcement, you're going to have a choice. You can either um, submit to the full penalties involved in, in that, which include incarceration. And I would have enhancements for people who've been deported before, or you agree to go home. Wow. And, you know, and if you come back, you'll face immediate arrest and, and detention, but go home, you know, agree. If you, you know, have some encounter with law enforcement or you're caught doing something, then, you know, you have two choices, sit in jail and pay your sentence or go home. 
And wow. a lot of illegal aliens will take the choice. I, you know, I'll go back. See, that's why we call because, you the first lady of interior enforcement. Wait a minute. So do I do I do I understand this that you're basically saying that okay, so you know, the courts will be all over this business of ah, you can't deport. Um, and you might have some international relations, logistical issues, but you're saying, all right, but what a state does have is the police power to punish crime. Um, and you leverage that against it and say, all right, well, you know, assuming it's something that maybe an American would often get probation, they'd get six months in prison, whatever it is, you say you could spend time in the joint or you could go home. So you leverage that for kind of a self repatriation um, but now, wouldn't that require? Right. And order- even I yeah. would even pay the ticket because. Oh, for and, sure. And what happens is, and the thing is, is with these crimes, it's it. These are crimes that are disproportionately committed by illegal aliens, like driving without a license, mm. or um, using ID theft. a stolen ID, or something like that. that Drunk driving for sure. To illegal immigration. Any, you know, anything real. It can be something that Americans do, too, but it's just the illegal aliens have this diversion option. That's fine. And what we find um, in places that have tried kind of lighter versions of this over the years, you're, you know, you're going to arrest probably a bunch of men if they have families. And if the the um, the mm. guy who gets arrested um, it, it leaves the country their family is going to go with them. Um, so and they classic example, you have Jose works, you know, at some sort of a, a farm somewhere. And maybe as a family here, he's uh, spends his wages on alcohol, goes, drives without a license, drunk cop pulls him over. And okay. Now you go to the court and you know, you could face 12 months in prison or we say, all right, you go home, and you know he's not going to want to divide his family. Well, so you bring them. We'll pay for it, and it certainly would be worth it. So that's a way to affect, right, and facilitate the, you know, get them help getting their travel documents in order and so on. This is a lot. It requires some resources, but it's a lot fewer resources than supporting illegal immigration by taxpayers. Oh yeah, I mean you look at the school districts. I mean, and that's what that's what people and I know at, at CIS uh Camerata and some of your colleagues have been doing this already and and this is based on old data doesn't really fully absorb the last couple of years the amount of school districts that have you know 20 30% of the kids like this not even you don't have to come onto Colony Ridge but I mean all over the country it's it's yeah. absurd and it's got to be drained out um, this, that's a really good idea. What about also on just public awareness and the data war? Um, I've always struggled with this because you have so many egregious crimes. You have families wiped out in drunk driving accidents and drunk driving is something that even the department of transportation back in the day used to talk about was part of the machismo culture. It is endemic of these people disproportionately. And but it's just very hard to quantify the extent of it because you'll see a name, but you can't assert that they're here illegally and they don't put out that data. Don't the red states need to put out more data quantifying the harms in terms of the cost and crime so that it helps drive this debate? Absolutely. And they and most states, especially large states, have the ability to do that, to um, track the immigration status of. Uh, people who are arrested, and then 
put out a report on it um, and, you know, tell the public, you know, this is what's happening in terms of the, these are the kinds of crimes that are being committed that are associated with illegal immigration and make the case for con- close cooperation between local law enforcement agencies and the feds. And I would go a step further and, and not only publish all the data as Texas does on crimes committed by non-citizens, legal and illegal, but also publish the information on the cases where local authorities knew about um, an illegal alien who had committed a crime in their jurisdiction, and ICE did not do its part to actually remove them. Because, you know, under the current administration policies, uh, you know, you, you basically have to, like, behead a nun in the public square before ICE does anything. Um, to try to remove an, an individual, yep. illegally alien criminal. And, so and we just have new data know on that. that they are, when they're falling down on their responsibility, and that will get ICE's attention, and, and they will start working more closely with locals. So, now, um, you know, and, and, and of course, um, deter sanctuary policies as well at the local yeah, level. Yeah, I mean, that should be a no-brainer. That That should not even be persisting in a place like that but you have like places like indianapolis despite three to one republican majorities in the legislature they appear to have at least a soft policy certainly not very helpful and i think you know you have some of these big cities within um republican states that still are a problem but you're right i mean um you your, your colleague just put out john fear he just put out um some data uh from ice that uh the amount of criminal offenses from the net of people that ICE has apprehended, what is it like down, you know, two thirds, and and it's not because and we're they, of criminals, two thirds fewer criminals, criminals. Are and it's not because there's fewer them, um, few, right. fewer crimes being committed because those numbers were pretty consistent um, for many years. It's it's because obviously they're they're not picking them up. So again, that's part of building the moral case. For what we're trying to do, and I do do think the data war is important. What one more thing, and man, you know, I, I got to get you when you have more time. Texas passed Senate Bill Four, and I just want to make sure I'm correct about this. They it, it makes it a state crime to illegally cross the border, but I'm assuming it does not go the step further of making it a state crime to be in Texas illegally. Um, that is my understanding as well. So um, isn't that and, something that that in order to buttress your plan, wouldn't the wouldn't the biggest force multiplier be? And I know and again, I know the courts are going to screw with this, but I'm just saying as a baseline to tag everyone with a crime automatically, that it becomes a state crime to remain in South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, whatever, illegally. And then, therefore, if you catch them, uh, 12 months in, in prison or your diversion program? I think that's worth trying to see if, if that can be done. I'm a, li- uh, I'm a little skeptical um, that it, it would actually work out that way. I, I feel that you could get enough deterrence from, you know, some of the things that we've already talked about of like, you know, Start with the lower hanging fruit of people who are already coming into the uh, encountering the local and state criminal justice system or, you know, creating crimes that you know that they're going to commit. 
Um, but that might be, you know, something hmm. if you're not getting the results um, yeah. from the things that we've talked about to actually look at. It's certainly having it on the books would certainly send a message yes. to yes. illegal migrants that, you know, this is not a, um, a welcoming environment for them and, and that will cause them to choose other places to live. Um, but, you know, whether or not it could, as a practical matter, be carried out and, you know, try yep. it or, or try it on some level. Um, you know, that's, and, and that's and, and I think, again, a lot of this stuff is you, you, you part of, you know, changing or learning from Arizona SB 1070 is that you can't have one state out on a limb. And this is why this effort to get all the states together. But we can't just make it superficial and ingratiate, allow a governor to ingratiate themselves to the GOP base which is some vapid statement, but then privately they they work with their cheap labor donors to do the opposite because this is really what it's about. I mean, the judiciary is a very interesting thing. People think it's some sort of a super technical thing. Um, I'll never forget when you know a famous Seventh Circuit judge talked about gay marriage and how they waited for public opinion. It had nothing to do with the law. And they do this all the time um, that if, if, if the the red states made it clear this is not going to happen. You know there is a chance they would actually back off. So, but 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 your point is even without totally getting mowed down by Supreme Court precedent, there are still things they can do, and this is very very enlightening. And I and and I, I think you know you'd agree that in many respects this is more important than the fake border fight. Oh, we'll give this amount of funding for the border. That I mean, it's it's really about either you invite them. And allow them to settle and get jobs and get bennies and you know remain here, or you don't, um, and then they won't come for the most part. So uh, that's right. why and you're the first we lady of interior enforcement. Pro, <laughs> right. Even if we were to get a pro enforcement president who has the will yeah. to uh, enforce the law, it's still the workload is way more than the resources of the federal government, and they're going to need to work with state and local Bingo. authorities. The ERO, um, the number of deportation officers at ERO is like a quarter of the size of NYPD. I mean, for all these millions of, um, I mean, even the just the criminal aliens, even just, wait, uh, before I let you go, Jessica, what are we up to in terms of those, even with our corrupt system, that already have final orders of deportation, but remain? Oh, it's um, something like 1.6 million, I think, was the last figure that I saw, of which about 400,000 are criminals with final orders of removal. These are all people who have been through the very generous due process that the law gives them and been ordered removed by a judge, exhausted their appeals, but are still living here. Unbelievable. Well, great data, great ideas. Um, Where could people find and follow your work, your writings? Everything we do is on our website, cis.org, or you can follow me on Twitter at Jessica V underscore CIS. Okay, you remembered it this time. Well, Jessica, let's not make it a long time until you come back. Thanks so much for your briefing, and we'll be in touch. Good to talk with you, Daniel. Take care. So again, that was our first lady of interior immigration enforcement. What a clunky name that is, but uh, she has earned that um, just brilliant stuff. I mean, she's followed this for 
she worked at the State Department dealing with visas maybe in the 80s or something or late 80s. I mean, she, she's been doing this for over 30 years. Um, and y- as you can see, getting back to the beginning of our show, there is a lot these governors can be doing. I know, obviously, the Florida governor is has done some of it, but is now they're working on the grand jury recommendations. And... I think it's, you know, she mentioned there's a lot that probably wouldn't even butt heads with the court um, going after the contract laborers and employment and really dealing with it. And look, you got to deal with the consequences of that. And, uh, you know, the the ag workers and it's worth the disruption, in my view. But then, you know, at some point, if you really had this degree of interposition that my colleagues think we have in the end zone, but we don't yet and likely are not going to get unless they say what, what I'm saying and make the play calls I'm making, then guess what's going to happen? Guess what's going to happen if that actually happened? I bet the courts would back off. If all the red state governors said this will not pass and make the legal case like that we made, and the moral case, I bet you they could start um, this degree of you know interstate network to basically just take over from ICE and CBP and do it on their own. I promise you, from what I know about Governor DeSantis, he would have already done this. The problem is he doesn't have anyone to work with. And therein lies the problem. Because we can have areas where 80% roughly support what we want. And yet because, see, here's the beauty of it. The Democrats can't control areas where the more polarized we get, even as they succeed in chewing up more of the middle of the country and turning purple into blue and light red into purple, but you still have a lot of dark red areas that are some ways getting even redder because of that polarization and some people are moving, There's only one reason we are not succeeding in those areas. There's only one reason why DeSantis is not the floor, but the ceiling of what we can achieve, and by a mile. And that is because of the very voices and organizations and influences, influencers and figures on the right who claim to be disappointed and upset about the uniparty and want to rectify it, but they're the ones actually subverting the only opportunities and budding movement to actually make that happen. We will be that movement because it doesn't exist. And that's why, again, we got to grow this show, not so I can get ratings and make money, but so we can grow our activism base and achieve what what God wants us to do on the issues that matter, in the way they matter, at the time they matter. What a terrific week. What a productive week we've had together. Email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. I'll try to go through it over the weekend. Uh, you know, till, till next week, have a terrific family-oriented weekend, and thank you for listening.